Thank you for joining our Transform 365 podcast, a discipleship and teaching ministry of SWCC. We pray this teaching helps you to grow in your journey with Christ. We have some great resources available for you on Transform365.com webpage. Feel free to download discipleship materials, small group teaching, as well as peruse our training workshops. Also take time to visit www.swcc.org for videos, teaching, and more. We thank you for listening and your support, and we would love to hear from you. So use our contact page and drop us a line. Now for our podcast teaching. Welcome to the Transform 365 podcast. I'm Pastor Cody, and this is my co-host, Pastor John. We are very blessed today to have Dr. Cohn. Uh, Dr. Christopher Cohn is a research professor of transformative learning and leadership. He's the president and CEO of Agatha and Versity and uh, Colorado Biblical University, uh, former of Calvary and Southern Cal- California Seminary. Uh, you're an author and editor of many books, articles, journals. Um, you have a PhD and two earned PhDs. We'll get to that later. And uh, you, in your spare time, if you have any, uh, <laughs> <laughs> your wife uh, and you, Kathy, run um, not one but two uh, publication houses in Grace Acres and Exegetica. Dr. Cohn, welcome. Hey, it is a joy and a privilege to be on with you guys uh you guys are you guys are doing a great job besides your bad choice of having me as a guest oh come on <laughs> hey, you forgot to add he was president of tyndale seminary oh right? president of tyndale, yeah. <laughs> yeah that was an awesome time and uh, that's where of course that's where john and i uh first connected right been a little while but not too long ago <laughs> yeah about 10 years ago well, Dr. Cohn, um, can you give us, for those that are joining us and, and really just don't know your background, maybe they've read one of your books, your articles, can you give us a little bit of background about yourself? Wow. Uh, grew up in a Christian home, awesome uh, missionary parents. Um, so I'm the dreaded uh, PK and MK combination. Mm. Uh, awesome, awesome parents, awesome brother. Uh, grew up. Uh, learning to love the Lord. And then uh, uh, Kathy and I got married um, actually 30 years ago this year. We're celebrating our 30th. Uh, Congratulations. So very, very young. She was like six years old. When we got <laughs> no, uh, but we were young. Actually, I think I was, uh, I was 18 and she was uh, to just turn 21. So uh, it's been 30 years of awesomeness uh, with her and uh, uh, so she get. by the way, she gets all the credit for running exegetic and grace acres press. I'm, I'm just the assistant, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, uh, over the years, um, we, we were just convinced that ministry and, uh, especially, uh, teaching and pouring into people was really where we wanted to focus. And so I had to, the honor of uh, serving at Tyndale Seminary uh, as, as uh, president there in, in some different roles before that, of course, and just fell in love with uh, the classroom and being able to help people uh, develop uh, for ministry. I had an opportunity to go out to uh, California and work with David Jeremiah with the Southern California Seminary and the, the awesome team out there. Mm. Um, and then uh, was invited to serve as uh, Calvary's president. So we did that for four years, which uh, that brought us to the Midwest and uh, to Missouri, and then for the last couple of years, I've been uh, uh, leading Agathon EDU, 
just uh, essentially educational support focused on uh, biblical education uh, and leading versity and Colorado Biblical University to uh, sister schools. Uh, and uh, so we've been real busy, but, but, you know, when you're doing things you love, uh, it's, it's work, but it's not exhausting. Maybe that's a yeah. good way to put it. So I just love, uh, have, have loved the, being able to learn and, and grow and uh, serve pouring people and uh, uh, seeking to be faithful. Cat and I have, uh, I call her cat. So when I'm talking about my cat, I'm not a cat. <laughs> <laughs> One very notable exception, but cat and I have two incredible daughters, uh, Christiana and Kara. Uh, and, uh, one is graduating from uh, college this week, and the other is uh, an early college uh, student with SCBU. So uh, we're very blessed and very busy. Yeah. Where, where are you originally from, Dr. Cohn? Uh, well, I was born in the Dallas area. Okay. So, uh, uh, and, and when I was a kid, we went to Alaska for 10 years. Mm. Uh, that's where my parents were uh, in missions. My dad was a missionary pastor. And then back back to Texas, uh, and uh, Kat and I were there maybe another ten years or so. Maybe maybe actually probably closer to fifteen years. Wow, that's a that's definitely a journey. You, uh, yeah. but as you said, I, I think um, you know John's always telling me to to not do so much. He's always <laughs> telling me to calm down. I told him that uh, you know when the Lord calls me home, that's when I'll retire. Exactly. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, there's this stewardship thing, this principle. I think of <clears throat> Matthew 25 and, and the opportunities that we have. Um, yeah, we have to rest. We have to be wise. And just enjoying time and enjoying his creation is an awesome blessing. At the same time, if he gives us tools and, and opportunities, man, we've got, we're accountable for that. So. Yeah, yeah, let's go get them. Let's, yep. let's, let's just keep on going, you know. Amen. Well, Dr. Cohn, um, let me ask you, because uh, I did say we'll get, we'll get back to it. Uh, what led you to uh, your pursuit of biblical education? Because, you know, you have, uh, you have quite a, quite a, a list of, uh, you know, letters behind your name. And so, <laughs> yeah, I heard, I've heard somebody refer to uh, a PhD as a PH in dumbness. <laughs> <laughs> You've probably also heard this, uh, uh uh, what's the difference between a pizza and a, a PhD in philosophy? <laughs> what's no, what's that? You haven't heard that? <laughs> no, the, I haven't. The, the pizza can feed a family of four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. So, you no, know, growing up, I, I loved the word from an early age. My parents uh, poured into my brother and I, uh, you know, kind of learned how to read by le- reading the word and, uh, just love, love to get to know God, love to understand what he had said. And I remember when I hit probably 12 or 13, I took a, a, a very almost apologetic and critical approach, um, kind of telling the Lord, OK, I'm, I'm going to study it to just destroy it and disprove it, not because I don't believe in you, but because I need to understand for myself, not just kind of follow along with the flow of what I've been taught, but really uh, really understand it and understand why digest it better. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, and and I think every young person has to make their, their, their faith, their own. They, it's about them relating with the Lord and not, uh, just being a part of the community. And, 
And uh, so for me, it was kind of that came around that time. So I was just intense in the word a couple of hours a day studying that. I appreciated uh, uh, Lewis Perry Chafer's systematic theology. I would uh, I'd, I'd study the word for a while and then I get into his theology and every single Bible verse he quoted. And if you've, <laughs> you've ever looked at that, which mm-hmm. I know you guys have, mm-hmm. he'll have pages and pages of, yeah. of citations. I, I looked at all of them. Uh, and, and just to see, okay, is, is this what that passage is saying? And, and I, I got a lot of respect for Chafer, but I also discovered that we have a habit of uh, a lot of cross-referencing that's not accurate, which made me you know, study the word even more closely. So kind of fell in love with that, had no idea what I was going to do, um, and, uh, but, ju- but knew it had to do with God's word. So uh, the natural thing was just to move into, you know, uh, Bible college. And so I ended up at Moody Bible Institute. You know, we got married while, while I was there, uh, while we were there. And then uh, that's when we went back to Texas and found Tyndale and just immersed in the word, you know, studying. I also I always had the, uh, the, the privilege and burden of working full time throughout my whole uh, academic study. So I've never been just an academic sitting in a room, you know, studying. Uh, it's always been both. And, and so that has, that kind of helped me, I think, to develop the balance and discipline of maintaining that hunger for growth, even after I finished a degree, mm-hmm. uh, which would kind of say, which would help kind of lead me to uh, maybe the next degree. And, and I felt like if I'm going to do something, I want to be the very best I can at it. Um, uh, and just kind of kept going. Uh, with the degrees. And I remember I had I finished the doctorate and was uh, uh, president at Tyndale. And I felt like, okay, Tyndale needs a president that, that, uh, that has very credible uh, academic qualifications just for the sake of the school. So I, I did a, another MED and a, and a PhD uh, and then felt like uh, I wanted to take all of that biblical study and and, and now go into a secular setting and kind of test it all again, challenge the, all the best worldly arguments, the worldly apologetics and philosophy um, against the Bible as God's word and against God as the creator. And um, so uh, really thankful to go through that process, hated parts of it, loved parts of it, but coming out of you know, the other side, I would say uh, my faith and confidence in God and in his word uh, as reliable and trustworthy uh, is, is uh, grew through that process is higher, higher than ever um, because the best arguments that I've uh, been able to examine just, just are nonsense in comparison to yeah. what he offers. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I, I think you did a, uh something very wise there. I think, uh, going into the secular side to, to also just test and, you know, uh, apply yourself in that, you know, that, that's, uh, that's, uh, I applaud you on that. It, um, one of my favorite places to read in the secular side of things actually is uh, Marquette. There's so much, uh, excellent material coming out of their, uh, it's like old Testament, uh, Hebrew studies over there. They're, they're, 
even though it's a secular school, obviously they're the, the research that's going into their PhD studies is excellent. Uh, and, and so I, I really, some great stuff. There's a little shout out there, but, uh, <laughs> so, um, Dr. Cohn, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just gonna say that's good stuff. I'm going to check that out. I haven't, I haven't, uh, I haven't looked at their, their material. So yeah, I'm- they're, they're, uh, a lot of the students approach is kind of looking at the, um, Ugaritic and Sanskrit uh, kind of text and comparing it to Old Testament as if, you know, which is, yeah. I would applaud them because they're taking it as a stance of Old Testament is a historic. So, um, you know, how, how does, how do these stories match up? So, which is really neat. I, I do appreciate that a lot of, that's what a lot of the students are, are approaching it from. So. That's kind of what a little bit of what we're doing with verse with versity and educational theory is essentially saying let's take the the biblical literature as educational literature mm-hmm. right? and and put it out there amongst all these secular theories and ideas and 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 just see how it works and so we're kind of we're referring to that as transformative literature and, mm-hmm. and transformative learning and leadership. Uh, and uh, obviously we're coming from the perspective it's God's word. It's inspired. It is sufficient. You know, it's, it's what we need, uh, but we don't need to be afraid to stand. I should say, and we don't need to be afraid to stand in the world, holding up God's word and beginning uh, an examination of any and every discipline by saying, let's start here and, and let's see where, uh, where God's word takes us. So I'm, 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 I'm appreciative of your approach there. Yeah. You know, when I uh, became a Christian, Dr. Cohn, um, I, I fell in love with Bible prophecy. And um, I was invited to a pre-trip conference in Dallas, Texas. And that's how I became um, familiar with uh, Tyndale. You know, Tyndale had a, bo- a booth or a table out there, you know, where the, where the books are at. And I grabbed the brochure, you know, and I had no, I never even heard of the word dispensationalism until <laughs> I got to Tyndale. And I, I'm very thankful for you and the staff there and Dr. Couch, especially, and, and how I learned um, a lot about dispensationalism. So my question to you, and, you know, for somebody who's listening to the podcast and doesn't have, has no idea, like I didn't have no idea when I first became a Christian, how would you define dispensationalism in, in layman's terms? So somebody could understand it uh, a little great, better. Great question. You know, it, it, if I may just piggyback, John, on what you uh pardon me, on what you said before I answer your question. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm so appreciative of, of the work that was done at Tyndale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it had at the time when I was going there and, and uh, you, you pr- were participating in that too. They had the only uh, uh, PhD, it was a THD at the time, mm-hmm. uh, that, that had its focus, it was biblical studies, but it had its focus on prophetic literature and scripture. Right. And so I appreciate the process of, of doing the biblical languages, doing exegesis. That was the first doctorate, focusing on that. Mm-hmm. Now that you've got that, then you go do theology. So then I did the PhD in theology and, and having that background, being trained in the word, now, now developing theology rather than developing a theology first and reading the scriptures through that lens. Right. Yeah. This is critical. And then, and then doing the PhD in philosophy allowed me to engage with uh, uh, secular thought, not through the lens of my theology, but through the lens of the scriptures. And, yep. 
And so when you ask about dispensationalism, I think that is the absolute key. Uh, Charles Ryrie uh, describes it as a, a, a philosophy of, of history, uh, uh, essentially a philosophy of how things have, have developed and how things will develop. Uh, and he talked about, of course, a sine qua non, right? Which is just without which not. So he talked about these three elements that you, that you have to have in order to have dispensational thought. Uh, the, the most important of which, which leads to the others, is a consistent use of the literal grammatical historical uh, interpretation of scripture. If we're consistent in allowing the author to speak for himself, um, even the critics, uh, those who hold other theological systems, they agree uh, that you will end up becoming a dispensational thinker. Now, mm -hmm. the name, the word dispensation uh, is from the, the Latin uh, dispensatio. It's translated from the Greek oikonomia, which is uh, an economy or an administration. Um, I like both of those words. And, and so dispensationalism looks at the scriptures, takes it at face value, and sees that there are different economies or administrations uh, over, over the years as revealed in scripture. For example, uh, once upon a time, people were required to sacrifice turtle doves, goats, sheep, right? Mm -hmm. um, now they're not. Uh, well, even a reformed or covenantal theologian is going to agree with that statement, right? Uh, they'll see these different economies. The difference is the dispensational thinker is looking at scripture and identifying economies or administration that the text itself identifies, whereas the other systems have some theological uh, economies or administrations that are, that are not drawn exegetically. Dispensational thought is trying to derive its ideas exegetically. So uh, I, I think, as you described, John, your, your process and, and how much you appreciated Tyndale uh, for me, it was the same thing because the focus there was on the text of Scripture first, mm -hmm. then you develop your theology, and you discover going through that process, you'll end up dispensational in your thinking, meaning you identify there, there are these different economies and administrations, um, uh, and so we got to read the Scriptures to see what those are and what they look like. Uh as a follow-up to that, why do you think, uh, why do you feel it's important to consider the, the grammar and the gram grammatical nuances of the day? Um, you know, kind of like Jesus saying, you know, if you, if you follow me, you got to hate your brother, your mother, and you know, it, we know that not being a literal hate, but a comparison of love. That's what I mean by nuances. Um, the historical aspect of the events of the day and the audience of the books of the Bible as you're reading them. Uh, why do you think that's important? in people's approach and study of scripture. So let me paint a little picture for, for our listeners. Uh, Pastor Cody is drinking from a, a Dunder Mifflin coffee mug. <laughs> that is a true statement. <laughs> and, and he's wearing, I can't read all of it, but it's, he's wearing a Star Wars, that's the Mandalorian, right? Okay. Yeah. He's wearing a Star Wars Tuxedo? Is that a tuxedo or no? <laughs> right? now, uh, uh, John and I are, we're just kind of dressed normally and, and all that, but <laughs> we can tell, we can tell a little bit from Cody 
about those things, right? That, that uh, if, if I'm sitting down having this discussion, um, you know, we have some, some immediate uh, things we could talk about just, just because of that. Now, John's got an Under Armour shirt on, right? So you got the UA. So now we could be talking about that, right? So there are these things that we indicate as we're communicating, verbal, nonverbal, these things that we indicate. And if we really want to know somebody, we, we look for those things, right? Now, the verbal things are even more significant. Uh, and especially when we're talking about literature. I remember when when Kathy and I were first, when we were dating, before we got married, it was a long distance thing. She was in Chicago. I was in Dallas. And she'd write a letter. And, and I'd be pouring over that, every word, trying to you know, read between the lines, all this, try to understand everything she's saying. Because that, that's the only communication we had at that moment. Uh, and if I didn't know how to read, I would have this communication from someone who loves me, who I love, but I can't get to know them because I don't know what a noun is or a verb or mm-hmm or an object or how to connect these and, you know, uh, bringing uh, grammar into a discussion, may be the least romantic thing you might imagine. <laughs> but the reality is if I don't know how to read, I cannot read the love letter from, uh, from this incredible woman. Well, God communicated using nouns and verbs, uh, uh, you know, using objects in these different parts of speech. He used language. He gave us language, and then he used those languages, the basic common languages of the day, uh, to communicate verbally and in writing. And, you know, Peter tells us that the Holy Spirit moved these men and they wrote words of God. So here we are a couple thousand years later, and as we we have the great privilege to be able to read these words, uh, he tells us about himself. He tells us what's important to himself. He tells us who we are. He tells us what our meaning in life is. He tells us what we should do, what we're designed to be, all of these things. But if I can't understand nouns and verbs and adjectives, if I don't understand a little bit about uh, verbal and written communication, I cannot understand what he said. Mm. So therein lies the value. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Cohen, I got a question. Um, going back to, how, how did you uh, phrase it? If you let the author say, how, how, did, how did you phrase that a little while ago? You know, I, I phrased it marvelously, but I, <laughs> I, I no, I can't remember what I said. You, you said so if you if you're when you're reading the scriptures and you let the author say what he wants to say, right? Something like that. Yeah. Um, if you do it that way, then you'll see a distinction between Israel and the church, right? Yes, yes. And that's one of Ryrie's three sine qua non. Right. So why, like, for, for example, like you mentioned, our Reformed brothers and um, Covenant brothers, they, they would say that the church is Israel. Like, why is it important to separate Israel from the church, in your opinion? Uh, the primary reason is because God has told us to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and because of that, what we discover is God has a different plan and purpose for the nation of Israel. And when he makes promises to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 about this nation, uh, you know, uh, Abraham's descendants becoming a mighty nation. And then in chapter 15, he tells us specific boundaries that they're going to have. And in 2 Samuel 7, he talks about this eternal throne in Jerusalem. Uh, And then in uh, Jeremiah 31, he talks about this forgiveness of sins 
and this nation being restored to its land in peace. And he says it's specifically Israel and Judah. Uh, if God doesn't mean what he says, mm. if somehow he can say Israel and Judah, and if he can say these borders and boundaries, but he, but he can come back and change it later, then meaning doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. God can't be taken at his word. His whole communication is worthless because he can just change the meaning later on. Yeah, or the allotment in Genesis 11 where he says, but Israel is mine, you know, when yeah. he's talking to the, the rulers. Yeah, so it has to do with God's character. It has to do with God's plan. And if I want to get really selfish, it has to do with my being able to trust God, which is why, why uh, uh, Paul talked about this in Romans 9 through 11. He explains what God is doing, how God is faithful with Israel, and how uh, after he's spoken about these great promises uh, and the outcomes of salvation in Romans 5 through 8, we might say, well, why would we trust you that all things work together for the good of those who love him, that, you're, that you, you, you've uh, called us and glorified us and all these things? How can we trust you when we look at Israel that's under dominance of Rome? Well, Paul explains uh, how God is working and has worked and will work with Israel. And uh, if, if God isn't trustworthy when he's dealing with Israel, signing contracts with the nation of Israel, swearing by his holiness, swearing by his name, then why the crud would I trust him when he's talking about me being born again and having eternal life? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, what? it's critical. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, uh, why do you feel that this hermeneutic um, or interpretation system, interpretive system of uh, dispensationalism explains the Bible so well? You know, why, why do you think that, um, you know, and uh, this isn't saying that other systems don't try to accomplish the same task, uh, you know, but uh, why do you think it, it, it explains the Bible so well in. So I, I, I would, I would suggest that dispensationalism has its great value as an outcome. Mm. Um, if, and, and some dispensationalists are, are guilty of this too. If we're reading dispensationalism into the text, mm. then we end up with uh, the same kinds of theological errors as any other system. Mm -hmm. and, and we certainly have no moral high ground to critique any other system. And historically, dispensational thinkers have not been entirely consistent in doing this, it's uh, we say we're we're consistent in the little grammatical historical hermeneutic, and uh, but but then we read our theology into the text. We can't do that. So dispensationalism's value is not. I, I wouldn't say it's as an interpretive system. The interpretive system is the little grammatical historical hermeneutic, mm -hmm. normative normative understanding of of communication, how we interpret any communication. That's the interpretive system. If we use that interpretive system, we end up recognizing these different economies, uh, the distinction between Israel and the church, God's doxological purpose as his, his total purpose in everything that's so explanatory. So we have this idea we call dispensationalism um, that, that provides this great explanation and I think represents what the Bible is teaching. But it is an outcome, not a presupposition. 
Mm-hmm. That's the big difference. Maybe the biggest difference between Reformed and Covenant theology and dispensational theology is uh, the Reformed and Covenant guys absolutely are straightforward in admitting they read their theology into their exegesis. Otherwise, they can't have good exegesis. I mean, uh, there's no apology. That is that is uh, what's being shouted from the rooftops. Because because of that, <clears throat> excuse me. You start with a theology. You read scriptures through that lens, you're going to end up with that same theology. Yeah. Dispensational thinkers are starting uh, without a theology or ought to be uh, looking at the text and arriving at dispensational conclusions. L- uh, letting, and, letting the text develop your, your doctrine theology, basically. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it, that, that's a perfect segue to the next question I had because. Um, you, you guys, you uh, contributed to uh, an edit, helped edit, uh, Forge from Reformation. Um, and uh, for those that haven't read it yet, I highly recommend it. It's mm-hmm. an excellent read. Um, and I just, I just love the idea, um, and the whole concept, even the title. The title really gives it away. The idea is that, uh, you know, Martin Luther. Uh, you know, he, he started this process, uh, you know, banging that 95 theses to the wall, you know, uh, to the, to the door on worms. Um, and the goal of our faith is to continue in our reformation, continue in our growth, continue and ever be, uh, learning in the process. And really we're called to that. I love how at the very end, um, I believe you, you finished with the summary and conclusion where you say that our goal should be to, um, be transformed by the renewing of our mind, right? It's the Romans 12, uh, two passage and and idea, but in your contribution, uh, that long said to say in your contribution to forge from reformation, you say, um, that our work to reform our beliefs is, is not complete. I'm going to go ahead and read the quote. It's uh, on page seven. So give me one second. Let me get there. I marked it and I still can't get there in time. So give me one <laughs> I'm you don't have it memorized. That's- yeah. Man, bad podcaster. Um, so let me get there. Okay, here we go. I'm going to read the whole quote. It's towards the middle. The formalizing of dispensational thought brought uh, reform to eschatology and ecclesiology as well. But there was still work to be done. Lewis Sperry Schaeffer's systematic theology, Charles Ryrie's dispensationalism today, and basic theology, along with Arnold Frutenbaum's Israelology, helped to remind us that the work of reform is not yet complete. I love that idea. I love that thought. But can you give a little uh, explanation um, for those that are listening, what you mean by that? The the point that uh, James Fazio, myself, and the other contributors really are trying to make with that book is that uh, dispensational thought, because it is the outcome of a little grammatical historical hermeneutic, just a normative way of understanding the Bible uh, because it's an outcome and because the Reformation was really launched by a return to the study of scriptures in the original languages and a return to the little grammatical historical hermeneutic, a normative interpretation. Because of that, 
dispensationalism is the is the uh, the the true descendant of the Ref- the Reformation, and covenant theology and Reformed theology is actually a departure from the Reformation idea, going back to uh, the the ecclesial hermeneutic, dogmatic hermeneutic of the Roman Catholic Church. Mm. And and uh, if it sounds like the shot, uh, you know, against the bow, uh, it absolutely is. Because for years, for you know, decades or centuries, you could argue that dispensationalism has been on defense with some of these really silly caricatures, you know, more than one way of salvation, or it's too recent to be true, you know, those kinds of silly things. I mean, just think of this, for example. Um, one of the arguments against dispensational thought by covenantal thinkers, our brothers, right, in Christ, whom we love and just differ with in some areas. Uh, I mean, somebody's got to be right after all. (laughs) But one of the major accusations uh, against dispensational thought is that it's so recent. They'll they'll point to uh, John Darby and say, you know, he's the guy that really formulated it. And it's recent. It's Mm -hmm. not historical. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what the Roman Catholic Church is saying to uh, the Reformed and Covenantal thinkers? They're saying, uh, your your Reformation system is recent. It's not the historical uh, yeah. orthodoxy of the church. Well, uh, if you go back to the 4th, 5th, 6th through 14th, 15th centuries, you're going to find uh, a horrible departure from the biblical text. And, and so what we're suggesting, and the whole point of Forged from Ref- Reformation in the various chapters, is that because we're going back to the text of Scripture, uh, and that's what the reformers did initially. Now, obviously, they didn't stay consistently through that. We're trying to. We're not perfect either. Uh, but you end up with a, a dispensational outcome, not a covenantalist uh, or reformed outcome. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a, does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah does, of yeah. course. Yeah, I think there is one more group that you forgot. Uh, took that same tone that was the pharisees were looking at the disciples and constantly saying you know this isn't the same system <laughs> you, know? you know what that's really good <laughs> i might i might steal that yeah uh, yeah I yeah like us that. pastors got to share our corny jokes with each other i mean that's i love it part of the... <laughs> it was, it was darn pharisees yeah. yeah you were saying that the, some of the reform guys uh covenantal guys haven't really um really um, branched out from um, from the Roman Catholic Church. That's why, according to some Presbyterians, they hold to baptismal regeneration. Not, not baptismal regeneration, but they, I forgot how they, they um, covenantal in, in, in baptism that. or something like that. Yeah. Can you say a little bit about, about yeah. that? Yeah, I think what you discover is, and you see it in, in Lutheran uh, uh, thought as well. A lot of the liturgical churches. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Th- those that are truly, quote unquote, coming out of the Reformation, you know, uh, what you saw, though, is as, as the Reformation principles were, were continually applied, that's where you end up with dispensational thought. And, yeah. and so, uh, it's really, uh, I appreciate the quote you, you mentioned, because it's very much, we're not done. And mm-hmm. we always have to, uh, we, we're not seeking to change our thinking for the sake of change. We're seeking to conform our, our, our thinking to the word of God. I like to refer to that as you know, transformative learning, right? The kind of learning that actually uh, changes us. And, 
And so doing uh, that kind of learning requires humility, uh, subjecting our theology to God's word so that we're not holding to opinions and systems. We're holding to God's word. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, to my reformed friends that kind of uh, approach me on that same topic, I kind of tell them, if you read the, the um, reformers work, the Zwingli's, the, you know, um, the Calvin's, the Martin's, uh, you know, the Knox's of the day, uh, their goal was to really just reform from the, the church, right? That, that, the the Roman Catholic Church in particular, and really their their goal was to take a look at salvation, to take a look at these um, you know systems that they had been stuck in of uh, you know, purchasing people out of you know purgatory um, and things of that nature, and their focus was the reform of the church, right? Right. Um, and they paid less attention to the ecclesiology and less attention to uh, really just kind of trying to understand some of the topics that we're looking at, right? We're looking at the end times and we're saying, how does this come together? How does this make sense? How does this, how do we siphon this through what we understand about the Lord, what we've read of the Lord? And, and, and also we have to put into context at that time, as the reformation was taking place, there was no such thing as Israel. Israel was no longer a nation. You know, it wasn't until, what, 1947 um, that really there was the reestablishment of Israel and people started, you know, coming back from into the land. And so, and that's really when the reformers are like, uh-oh, you know, <laughs> oh man, we're kind of in trouble. There's a new nation called Israel again, and it's all the same people. Um, and so, you know, I think at that time there was a little bit less attention being paid to the um, to the understanding of, of end times and to, and, and where the church fits in, in that, you know, that that's where the replacement theology had come in. They're like, well, there's no longer Israel, so we must be Israel. And, you know, um, let's just carry on this same system. I mean, I I don't know, maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe I'm just kind of just blanket statementing that, but how do you feel on that? Yeah, you're totally wrong on that. No. <laughs> I, I, I completely agree. Uh, so that makes me totally wrong too, I guess. But no, I think, I think you, you hit on a very important point. And, and, you know, just let's go back in time. You know, you're, you're, uh, you're Augustine, right? Or Augustine, depending on where you're from. And, and you're, you're trying to have a comprehensive approach to theology. You see all this stuff about Israel, but there's no Israel on the planet. Now there is, you just don't realize you know, mm -hmm. there is, uh, there's, but there's no state of Israel. There's no nation in one place. So what do you do with this for 300 plus years? There's no Israel around. So what do you, what are you going to do? Uh, and then for the next thousand years, there's, there's no Israel. It's, it's actually miraculous that the, that the reformation happened and that because of that return to the biblical languages, the study of the word, they realize, you know what? God meant Israel. Uh, he, he, so there was a return to this literal normative approach. And it wasn't until, uh, you know, Martin Luther was then uh, shaped by his experience, negative experience with, uh, with some, some Jewish people that, that he changed his theology again. Mm -hmm. 
So I have great empathy and, and appreciation for these people for a thousand years wrestling with you know, all, these, all these statements about Israel. Uh, we know God is trustworthy, but there isn't Israel. So he must have meant something else. Maybe he meant this. Yeah. Know? Well, now for us, it's easy because we, we live in a world where there is a state of Israel. It doesn't seem crazy, miraculous for God to one day fulfill his covenant promises literally to a nation because we, we can point on a map you know, to Jerusalem that's populated. Uh, so we have it a little bit easy. So we got to be careful not to be uh, overly critical and, and mean to our brothers who are doing the best they can. But at the same time, we can't compromise on the importance of taking God of his word. Yeah. And like John emphasized earlier, uh, letting the author say what he said. Yeah. I have a book that I'll go uh, along with your book, Dr. Cohn. Um, and I know you know Dr. Andy Woods very well. Yeah. Uh, um, ever reforming. We're, we're not allowed to mention other authors when we're having some. <laughs> oh, no. I forgot to lay the ground rules for him, Dr. Cohn. I apologize for that. No, no, you mention other authors. That you don't. You can't mention other authors unless they're good. And, and, and you have Andy, to be dispensational. Yeah, yeah. Andy Woods is phenomenal. Uh, yeah. Andy, yeah, he's he's a, a a good dude all the way around, and he's handling a lot of really important stuff. So. He has a chapter in the book, right? Yes, he does in your yeah. book, right? Uh, yeah. So I think that ever reforming goes excellent with um, with your book there. But uh, I got a question here, Dr. Cohen, when it comes to, um, well, like you mentioned, the sine qua non of dispensationalism, one of them is uh, the glory of God, right? Why um, why do only disp- dispensations hold? Well, now I wouldn't say only dispensations because I know the Westminster, they say the, the theme uh, of scripture is also the glory of God, right? Well, here's the very important distinction. There you go. Give it to me. Very important distinction. So one of Ryrie's sine qua non, one of the things he says that if you don't have this, you don't have dispensationalism, is God's doxological purpose. Right. Ryrie is saying God's overall purpose in everything is his own glory. Mm -hmm. The the Westminster Confession doesn't say that. Mm. It says uh, what man's purpose is. Man's purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's a, the Westminster confession is very anthropocentric. Mm. Okay. What Ryrie is doing, which I appreciate so much, uh, is he is saying we need to be uh, theocentric, right? If, if we look at all of history and all of uh, uh, reality through the lens of it's about God, it's much easier to come up with a biblical theology, a submissive theology that allows God to say what he said in scripture. If on the other hand, I read into the text that God's whole purpose is redemption, Mm -hmm. salvation. Now my purpose is to glorify God, but God's purpose is redemption. Well, that makes it all about me. And, uh, and, and it creates all kinds of theological problems and contradictions and it, and it creates fertile ground for uh, one, one uh, prominent uh, brother uh, who's a pastor for a long time who talks about uh, Christian hedonism. Mm. And I, I think that is just terribly misguided because it's putting the focus on me, my purpose, my joy, my salvation, my redemption. And that I would argue is bordering on idolatry because it's about him, not about me. Mm. John says in John three thirty, he must increase. I must decrease. Mm. Well said. 
Thank you, Dr. Cohn. Well, that leads us into another question here, Dr. Cohn. If we had to summarize the purpose of the Bible into a paragraph, uh, what would you say? Oh, I'm putting you on the spot there. I realize that. How much time we got here? God has. It could be a run-on paragraph. No, no, no. no. This will be this will be brief. I think I can do this because God has communicated clearly. Okay, so here we go. God has revealed Himself uh, to. God has revealed Himself to the extent to which He wants to be known. He's revealed himself in this text. That text is how we know him. Uh, so we, we owe him uh, as readers, as listeners, investigators. We owe him uh, the, the, the devotion to listen to what he said so that, as Paul says in First Timothy 1.5, the, the end or the goal of our instruction is the right kind of love. Mm, I like that. Mm, that was good. Yeah, that was good. Uh, we're going to end on this question, Dr. Cohn. Well, I got one more. Oh, okay, end. never mind. John likes <laughs> to do I'm, that. I'm he struggling with this balls. one, Dr. Cohn. You got to help me out with cool. this one. I'm in. Okay. Um, when it comes to the Old Testament saints, I know dispensations are, they're split on this, right? They, there's two views to this. Is, is that correct, Dr. Cohn? Is that well, correct? There, let me give you the one I learned from Tyndale. Yeah, at least two. Okay, so the basis of salvation in every age is the death of Christ, right? The requirement of salvation in every age is faith. The object of faith in every age is God. The content of faith changes in various dispensations. Um, that's one view. Is that correct? Is that correct that that's a view? Yeah, that's one. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, and then the other one <laughs> is um, with the Old Testament saints just by believing in the in the proto evangelium in Genesis. Like, what, like I'm I'm not confused, but I just I'm struggling with that. Help me I, out. I'm with you. I, I get I get where you're going, John. And I I think I think it's simpler than all that. Okay. Um, I hope. <laughs> you know what we're what we're trying to do with these different views is we're trying to have Jesus in the Old Testament. And the Father in the uh, excuse me, Jesus in the New Testament, and the Father in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. and that's why you come up with these different content and all this stuff. I think it's much simpler than that. Okay. Um, who was it that was talking to Abraham uh, when when Jesus says, uh, "Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced." Exactly yeah. right. And 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 they his his listeners recognize he's saying he saw Abraham. Yeah. The Yahweh. Uh, it, of the Hebrew scriptures is at least usually uh, the pre-incarnate Christ. So mm -hmm. Christ didn't begin to exist in the New Testament. Abraham believed in the person that we call Jesus. Um, he didn't have to look forward mystically somehow to some sacrifice or anything like that. He believed in that person. Mm. And, and uh, if we look at the gospel of John, the gospel of John tells us the content of, uh, or I should say the object of the belief, salvation, the eternal life is by faith. And the object of the faith is the person of Christ. Mm -hmm. It's not a message. It's, it's Christ himself. So nothing's ever changed. It's always been by belief in him. Mm -hmm. the, the, the content that's revealed in these various economies is, is different. You have the, the progress of revelation. So Abraham 
did not know, I suspect, that, that, this, uh, that God would be incarnate and die on a cross. Um, but Abraham believed in this one, and it was accounted to him as, as righteousness. So mm. Abraham was saved by the blood of Christ on the cross, but he was justified when he believed in Jesus or in Yahweh, uh, you know, in, uh, as it's described in Genesis 15. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe that simplifies it, that we're, we're not talking about different people, you know, different objects of the faith. It's always been. The object is always Christ. Yeah. Always mm-hmm. Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And you bring up a good point because um, I think just about every biblical figure that we read in Old Testament, you know, first, uh, it's first Samuel three, Samuel, he hears God speaking to him and it says the word of the Lord was standing over Samuel. Well, who is the word of, uh, of the Lord? Well, John, John's prologue tells us the word of the Lord is Jesus. Mm-hmm. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, some people try to mix that up and say that it's a, um, you know, it, it's a Greek uh, variation of the word uh, logos, but really it's the Old Testament thinking. John's a Hebrew child. You know, he grew up a Hebrew boy. And so he would have been thinking, oh yeah, that, that word that spoke to Moses in the bush and, and Yahweh was there with it, uh, you know, interacting and, and that, that, you know, the word of the Lord that, that was there when Gideon lit the fire as Yahweh was speaking, you know, um, that that's what he was thinking. And so, um, you know, the object is always Christ. Christ is, is interacting and he's, he's speaking and, uh, so it's a, just a beautiful thought, you know, Joshua wrestling. I mean, there's so many a- aspects of Christophanies that we can see in, in the Old Testament. Yeah. And to, to John's point earlier, you know, uh, we see Paul referring to Genesis 12, 3b as the, the proto-evangelium or, or the, you know, him announcing the gospel beforehand. Um, well, Abraham believed what God told him there and believed in the Lord in, in 15.3. Uh, and then later in chapter 22 demonstrates that he may have the, 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 the content wrong, you know, and he may not understand how all this is going to happen because he's, he's being told to kill Isaac, but he trusts in the person to get it done. And so I think the focus is always on belief in the person and the content is simply what, what has God revealed, you know, in, in his, in his word mm. uh, that we're able to engage with. Does that, does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. It does. It does. Does thank you, thanks for thanks for fixing them. <laughs> oh, yeah, he, he's, he's sharp. I love it. I love the. I love is, the is, one. Is is dispensation still alive, Doctor Cohn? I I I think the label is probably not as prominent because it sounds like a disease or a bacteria. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm a dispensationalist not because I'm loyal to a system, mm-hmm. uh, but because when I study the Word of God taking it in a normative way that we take any communication, I arrive at these conclusions that have been historically called dispensation. There's some stuff, obviously, I don't agree with. We have differences right. in those camps. It's okay. But uh, yeah, I think, I think dispensational thinkers are doing more now to address questions people are asking, are uh, being more thorough in our methodology, uh, so I think dispensational thinking is uh, at at its kind of an all time high. I think. Mm-hmm. 
to to kind of give clarity to uh again people that are listening and they're trying to process this idea of um you know dispensations um and the difference of god's working with people and working the economy as as we said before uh some of the different dispensations that we can see within scripture we have genesis 1 um where there's the innocence of earth right the innocence of man and god working walking talking relationship uh the the dispensation of conscience genesis 3 through 8 right um uh you go to human government genesis 8 um the the promise genesis uh 12 uh to exodus uh 19 and uh you know god promising abraham as you had mentioned before and and we see that being fulfilled with moses and um and then the law god hands down the law to moses and you know as they're entering into the land he's like hey this is how we're working now right uh so that's another dispensation and then when we come to uh new testament right uh jesus he gives the words in luke 22 20 right um the 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 dispensation of grace you know um and then kingdom revelation 20 and and how god will work in his uh millennial kingdom that's seven there so that's seven do you know dr cohen the nine yes dispensations? i know <laughs> i know the nine but i'm trying not to confuse people too much um but um it's just uh this is again trying to put it into the most layman terms as we can yeah. this is how god has operated with people through the ages i guess you would say correct yeah i think there are different perspectives and because we're talking about outcomes here right we're we're looking at the text and seeing these various economies administrations uh i think you could make a case for four i think you could make a case for seven i think you could make a case for nine i think you could make a case for 12 <laughs> uh, you know i i it just uh I, I would say that I'm not so picky on those. Um, I think you see those divisions clearly, but they're not necessarily called different economies. So we have to yeah. be careful, right? Yeah. Yeah. More, uh, more. Yeah. The Bible won't tell you, and this is how God worked from yeah. this time to this exactly. time. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So we've got, we see distinctions. For example, uh, the, the, the tribulation in that seven uh, dispensation division, the tribulation that, is Daniel's 70th week. It's called Jacob's trouble. Well, that is not in the same, God's not doing the same thing as he's doing right now during that yeah. time. Uh, you know, so that's just one example. The millennial kingdom is also different than, uh, than what's happening now. So you, you end up with uh, some good discussion on how many there actually are. And that's, that's one area I don't, I personally don't get hung up on if someone yeah, let's not floor. argue on that yeah. yeah 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 because if we're not careful we can go further than the text and now we're now we're reading a theology into the text yeah dispensational thinking is simply recognizing there are these distinct different economies um and one of the serious implications of that is israel and the church are totally distinct uh, in in god's plan and i think that's that's kind of what ryrie was pointing out i mm -hmm. think well, a question we always like to ask, and this will be the last question, <laughs> is um, who, what, and how did you get to your beliefs today? So who influenced you, you know, um, what, or maybe, maybe, maybe you came across a text uh, in scripture, maybe you read a book or a magazine, um, maybe a professor, 
uh, that influenced your beliefs um, to, to where you are today? I, I was am so blessed um, to be raised in a, a home where both my parents love the Lord and mm. taught me to love the Lord. And they, they instilled a great love of his word and a love for the Lord because they lived it. They, mm. I got, I got to, I grew up watching them live it. And I'm thankful that they're still doing that today. <clears throat> and I still get to uh, benefit from their example. Uh, <clears throat> so for me, uh, it, it really st started there. And, um, uh, and I, I would say when I began that, that, that process in my early teens, uh, my, my mind hasn't, I haven't had any great massive changes because my, my thinking was framed on the scriptures. And so, uh, unless I change my methodology, I'm going to end up basically in the same place. Obviously I've, I've grown a lot and, and am continuing to learn a lot and, have reshaped some areas where I'm inconsistent, but I would start there. There's been some other fantastic people, you know, it was part of Plano Bible Chapel. Uh, when Tom Constable was there, uh, I mean, he's still there actually. And uh, I got to just see that kind of Bible teaching. He, he Tom Constable was the uh, chair of the Bible X department at Dallas for 30 something years and wrote uh, Constable's notes, you know, 50,000 yeah. pages. Uh, uh, guys like that, being able to develop a relationship with uh, Charles Ryrie later, and uh, just all this very confirming, and and uh, I, I'm just so appreciative of that. And then uh, a host of brothers and sisters who we open the scriptures together and just see that these things be true. So uh, his word is reliable. Can I offer one sobering thought? Yes. Uh, just, sure. uh, just, when, when you asked if uh, dispensationalism was was alive today. One other thing that I should say, I did say, I think it's uh, at it's an all time high. What mm -hmm. I mean by that is we stand on the shoulders of giants who stood on the shoulders of giants. Mm -hmm. And so it's our job to continue that, that process. But I would also say uh, this to dispensational thinkers and to our reform brethren, as we look around, um, if the goal of our instruction is love, and if we have all these resources and, and if we have God's word, in an unprecedented way, uh, and we have many who are writing and, and, and many programs in many schools, um, and we look around and we see the great failure of the church worldwide right now, uh, we all have to look in the mirror and say, okay, uh, this is more than just knowing stuff. It's more than just uh, uh, being able to fashion great arguments and fashion great world. We've got to do something with it. We've got to be faithful with the stewardship. And so for me, that's very sobering. Uh, and I feel this sense of responsibility from the giants who are our descendants and, uh, uh, or from whom we've descended, I should say. Uh, we, as the great theologian, uh, Peter Parker's aunt once said, <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. 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 Well said there. Well yes. said. We have the, uh, we have this great task to uh, reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So amen. amen to that. Well, Dr. Cohen, it was uh, great to have you join us. We thank you for your time. Um, and uh, as we, as we go, I want to go ahead and read a couple titles to some of the people that are there. And then if you can uh, make your information available to them, 
but uh, the green tree and hermeneutic roots of biblical uh, faith and practice. Uh, you were one of the co-editors on that. Uh, authentic social justice, the sofa rule, uh, priority in biblical hermeneutics and theological method. Forge from Reformation, as we already referenced today. Great book. Life uh, Beyond the Sun, Applied Biblical Worldview, uh, Gifted, uh, and I'm only reading the, the main title. I'm not reading the subtitles. Um, integrating Exegesis and Exposition, uh, uh, Prolegama and, and uh, Gemina, and John already made reference to that one. We had, the, we had, that, um, we had it buy that book for one of our classes at Tyndale. Uh, introduction to the New Covenant, Redacted Dominism, uh, a Concise Bible Survey, Dispensationalism Tomorrow and Beyond, and uh, Practical Aspects of Pastoral Theology, Biblical Sufficiency Applied. Um, and like I said, you have various uh, articles that people could benefit from researching and looking for. Um, your your uh, web address if you can go ahead and share that uh how people can find you and look you up probably simplest is drcone.com drcone.com and if they forget that just a google look you come right up (laughs) (laughs) Uh, fugitive from the law uh you'll see the you know the side profile and all that yeah you're not you're not off the grid that's for sure well brother uh it was great to have you join us and thank you so much for just being a part thank you dr cone i appreciate those times at tyndale man they really um set a foundation for my for my christian my christian life here and my you know pastoring here at um at our church here so thank you very much i I praise god for both of you uh the the joy is mine to be able to share the fellowship with you and see what you guys are doing in his name Uh, thank you for your ministry and example Thank you for joining the Transform 365 podcast, a ministry dedicated to helping you grow in relationship to Christ. If you want to know more, find us at transform365.com or on our church website, www.swcc.org, located in Miami, Florida. Until next time, remember, the only work in grace is to let grace work in you. God bless.